On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Russia's hemispheres. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my good friends Paul Zotter, Ken Gregory, and Tom Corcoran as we tackle Rush's Hemispheres. Good. Can we just talk about the song Circumstances for an hour? (laughs) (laughs) Only if we could talk about the song Hemispheres for an hour. (laughs) (laughs) So, gentlemen, welcome to uh, round three of Rush. It's good to be here. (gasps) Yeah, thanks for having us. Where things start to get uh, perhaps a little interesting based on on the enthusiasm I'm feeling on the the text conversation. You want to sum up the uh, the controversy so far? We, um, I don't know, we, we were pretty forgiving of the early weirdness, right? Except for the screechiness? Yeah, I mean, you know, except for the fact that I apparently don't understand the song 2112. I think we were, we were oh. generally... <laughs> we were generally... <laughs> generally very forgiving of, of everything. And I think, you know, certainly many of us found a lot in the early albums, maybe a lot more to like than we would have realized previously. And, um, you know, obviously it's from, from, you know, my perspective, it's, it's been interesting to sort of watch the, the three of them sort of grow into the rush that I always knew you know, from a kid. Right. And, you know, and my perspective again was that 2112 was, was perhaps closer um, to the mark. And I think a farewell to Kings was just up on the line. That was closer. And, that was closer to the heart. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, well played Thomas. And now, I don't think I said enough about Xanadu. I, I, we, we could have a whole podcast for Xanadu. And I feel like the moment passed me by too quickly. Well, is, is there something you would like to add about Xanadu today, Ken? By all means. I just, I think, I think, and ironically, it probably started from something so boring as Alex giving guitar lessons and trying to coerce students to play scales. Because and I just loved it as a kid. I'm like, oh, okay, I can play this because I played a scale. And and I just, it's not exceedingly fast. It's not too crazy with odd times. And the synth is just in your face. And it's not even necessarily a song as much as a concept. It's almost like a a drawing or a, 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 a movie. I mean, it, 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 it goes somewhere beyond pop music, shall we say. Well, and I think 
Go ahead, Paul. Sorry, I have this weird problem with Skype that in my uh, every time I open a, a window on my uh, my OneDrive, I get some a loud notification that we're on Skype, which I know already because I'm on it with you guys. So I, <laughs> I don't know how to shut it off. Sorry. So I was just reacting because it it scared the hell out of me when it popped open. Sorry. <laughs> That's 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 quite all right. Um, so, okay, so long story short, before Paul's Skype interruption, you know, <laughs> instead of doing instead of doing my palaver homework, I swear I did the old Ken thing and I listened to Xanadu thirty times because it was that good. Well, apparently Tom's been listening to twenty one twelve since the last time we spoke, so yeah. I guess that's okay. I know, you know. In my, in my whole yoga class, you know, this this, this month is, um, you know, about living in the present, not living in the past. I just keep going back and playing that same song over and over again. Yeah, so. but but Xanadu is so sweet. I think, uh, you know, I, I think you can be certainly forgiven for that. And, and Ken, you had just said something along the lines of, you know, Xanadu was was Rush starting to move past pop music. Did you is that what you said? Well, it's more than a song. It's just such a concept. I mean, yeah, I just, you know, it, it, it's so removed from any good songwriting techniques because it's just, 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 just too complicated and too weird and it changes the time signature. But it, 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 it's one of those examples where Prague gets it right. You know, you break enough rules and then you discover something brilliant. Yeah, and you know, I, I I think that sort of fits in well with with sort of the thoughts that I was developing this week, listening to the uh, to the two song or two albums that we have in front of us. So yeah, I definitely think we'll get back to that. And yeah, and you know what's really great about this whole this whole retrospective here on Xanadu is this happens a couple times as as we go through these albums with the the palaver. Xanadu is one of those songs when I first got Exit Stage Left. That was a part of Exit Stage Left that for a while, that's all I listened to was the trees in Xanadu. And I yeah. couldn't listen to anything else. And then at some point in time, I decided, well, I better pick up um, Farewell to Kings and hear what it sounds like really from, from uh, on the album. And then there was a period of time where I couldn't listen to anything on Farewell to Kings. I only ever listened to Xanadu over and over and over again. Yeah. And it, and it, it's kind of the same thing going through this. It was the same for me. I listened to to Return uh, Farewell to Kings. I listened to it a couple times. And then I basically just went back and listened to Xanadu over and over again. And similar, when I went to Hemispheres, there was a day where I couldn't stop listening to the trees. And, and I, it never got old. It, no matter how many times <laughs> I've listened to that song, it just never gets old. Yeah, I don't have that problem, but we'll get to that. <laughs> oh, Paul, no, you don't have that go. problem with twenty one twelve. You know, and and you know, I after recording last week, I really, really felt bad. Um, because you know, again, I I understand that everyone places so much importance on twenty one twelve, and and actually, I tried to listen to it again after after we recorded, you know, last week, and I. I feel bad, but I still don't get it. I just oh. don't. But that's okay, because I have more than enough love for hemispheres that's going to make up for any 
any rush sins I may have committed in the last episode. <laughs> well, th this whole thing has been incredible uh, for me because I have had, I've had like the opposite timeline that I had with King's X where I was less familiar with the last couple of King's X albums. Actually, wasn't familiar at all with them. And um, I was, I, even though I, I owned most of the very early Rush CDs, I mean, I only played them, I mean, maybe a handful of times since I, you know, first owned them, you know, when I was, you know, 18 or 19. Um, and so I've gotten to listen to all these albums really with a just like a, a new set of years really and um you know a lot of songs sort of come back from a the live albums and you know just knowing some of these songs from you know you guys playing them and rehearsals and, and whatever but um it's been a great a great journey uh sorry jay and um it, it ha it really has been and um I am just putting myself, I have this weird thing that, that I, that happens to me, you know, so I'm sitting listening to 2112 and, you know, let's face it, it's kind of weird, you know, we're in our, you know, late forties and we're still, you know, we're listening to, you know, albums that we, you know, we've been listening to since we were, you know, high in high school. And, um, so I'm sitting in the studio listening to 2112 and I'm like, wow, you know, I wonder if like 30 some years ago when this album came out, if there was a 13 year old kid like who snuck outside in his garage and was playing 2112 in the garage and he like left this curse on me like that I, I have to, you know, have to play 2112 almost like every day now because I like like you would if you were 16. Like you would if you can <laughs> play, you know, Ken playing Xanadu, uh, uh, or Paul for that matter. Um, but it, it's just, it's fun, but it's like, it's, it's kind of weird because uh, I'm sort of engaged in a way that I haven't really been engaged since, um, you know, I was in in high school, and uh, it's it's been it's been a, it's been a fun time. But uh, I'm 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 really enjoying a lot of these um, of the more progressive albums at this sort of experimental stage, if you will, of Rush. It's been, it's been great. You're here. Yes. Yeah. That only, get, that only gets weird, Tom, um, when you're driving in the car and someone catches you screaming at the top of your lungs, the priest yeah. of the temple of appearance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it makes sense right. because they're characters in a story, okay? Keep that in mind. <laughs> That's when you look in the rearview mirror and be like, oh, yeah, I'm old. I'm an old dude. That's right. I forgot. But, <laughs> yeah, but, but, it but keep Justin in mind, Bieber. Paul, at least you're doing this for a reason. I mean, you've got a podcast. The other guys but, yeah. car streaming, people are streaming, they've got no excuse <laughs> at all. <laughs> that totally makes it better. That totally makes it better. <laughs> it, it adds an air of legitimacy to the whole thing. But, yeah. but Tom, I think to your point, and, and we've had this, this sort of conversation before, 
Um, now, you didn't necessarily participate in, in a lot of the yes discussions, but I think, you know, Paul, Ken and I have had similar sort of conversations around, you know, some of the yes albums that we knew from when we were younger and, you know, maybe some we didn't know quite as well and, and how our perspective has changed on that music as we've gotten older. Um, some things have gotten better. Some things have not gotten better. Some things have just changed. And it's, you know... It, Again, that was part of the reason why I felt this was this was a good idea. And, you know, when you look at at the groups and the albums that we're looking at, I mean, the reason why we picked them is because there's there's some sort of of, you know, timeless, resilient quality about these records. And, you know, I think we're of a of an advanced enough age where we can sort of figure that out. And that's for me, that's, that's why I find this whole thing to be, to be really, really fun. And, what's and fun with, about, like, go ahead. Sorry, dude. Oh, so what's fun about going through them by order is that, you, you know, I never did this before. Like I had mentioned before with rush. So we're in the phase of rush now where it's like 2112. I was like, Oh, this is the best album. And then and then I go to Return of the King, Return of the King, Farewell to Kings, and I go and I go, oh, this is their best album. And then I get the hemispheres, and I'm like, oh, this is their best album, right? It just keeps going. Every every, it's like, I, I, like I wonder if people these albums were coming out so quickly and they were touring, and I wonder if if people had that feeling, like, oh my gosh, this is their best one yet, and then the next one comes out, oh my gosh, this is their. I mean, it pretty much goes that way all the way through moving pictures. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Well, and that, you know, that was the point that I had made about this, this stretch of albums. I mean, it's almost unprecedented, you know, how strong each one is after the other one. And there's, there, there's not a Tormato in here. <laughs> Agreed. Although I think you compare, didn't you compare one of their albums to Tormato before? No, I didn't compare it to Tormato. I, Never mind. Well, wait a minute. Where are we starting? Because I might argue that Caress of Steel might be the uh, Tormato. No. no. Caress of Steel is way better than Tormato. <laughs> okay. When, when, whenever we get around to actually filling out the prog scale, I think you're going to see the quality number on Caress of Steel much higher than Tormato. Tormato if I may- get a vote, it's going to be close, though. well why don't we um why don't we set the stage for tonight's albums and then we can sort of open up the uh the discussion if that's okay with you fine gentlemen hey i i gotta can i uh just say something real quick Um, absolutely a a fun little idea maybe before because i've been uh also uh listening to a lot of a lot of rare interviews and like uh crazy stuff and i've been uh, jotting down some things um i'd like to for at least the um the rush episodes before we start um come up with a uh, little fun factoid from something that some something that i found interesting in 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 the in the rush world that um people might find interesting and um uh if 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 you may, uh, I, I wanted to bring up something that I I, I found in an in an interview that has to do. It, it's very relevant to 
uh, uh, palaver as well as it has to do with one of our other bands. Uh, the fun factoid number one is uh, Getty Lee uh, walked out of a Genesis concert. And <laughs> it wasn't because of Genesis, actually, but it was because of uh, Lou Reed played after Genesis. And he... <laughs> And he couldn't, he, he loved the Genesis, he loved what Genesis was doing on stage so much, he, um, and he, 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 he couldn't bear to watch uh, Lou Reed. So wow. but he, he still is credited as walking out of a Genesis concert, um, even wow. though they actually weren't on stage. So that's the um, fun, fun factoid number one. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> awesome. That's fun. All right, go ahead. I believe that people would do that. They just wouldn't admit to it. But, um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I imagine we're talking about early edition Genesis, right? If they're if they're opening for Lou Reed, I mean, how uh, far how how far removed from Lou Reed was early Genesis? That's that's pretty striking. Well, well, I mean, not if you consider. I mean, uh, Rush did what like three tours opening up for Kiss. <laughs> so, and one of those tours, uh, you might find this interesting, Joe. Uh, the Tubes were uh, part of that tour. Sweet. Yeah. So imagine seeing um, Rush, the Tubes, and Kiss in, in in one show. Do you know what year that was, Tom? Uh, oh, dude, I, I I don't. I could I could look it up. Um, Toronto, 1973, according to the Googles. Okay. No, nice well, 1973. Oh, okay. So that was even before Rush. Wait, 1973? Well, then the right. first yeah, Rush March, out in 74? March 12, 1973 at the Alpine Arena. So that's yeah. super duper early, everybody. Well, I, 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 from what I you know, scanned previously, Getty was into uh, Chris Squire back then. So, you know, if, if, if you're into, yes, that segues to Genesis. So why not? Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Cool. Very cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You can buy you can buy the concert poster on Amazon for a mere fourteen ninety five plus shipping and handling. I'll make sure I put that link on the um, the notes because I'm sure whenever this airs, probably months from now, it will still be available. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I could probably do a whole will know the results of the Eagles Patriots game by that point. <laughs> we don't know we're just idiots now <laughs> that's true yeah i'll have to edit that out because it's not going to be timely by the time it comes out but i wanted to toast them anyway um yeah so i could probably do a whole series of solo episodes on the tubes because they don't necessarily fit into the into the whole deal but i, I think i think they'll have to be solo episodes although i did hear uh interestingly i did not know that on uh, the tubes hit "Talk to You Later," the, the, all the guitar work on that is actually um, Steve Lukather yeah. on that, which I never knew. Oh, yeah, that um, that actually Lukather produced that one, and I believe the next one, and that's what caused the schism in the group. Ah. Because after that, 
half the group didn't want Lukather anymore. They wanted to go back to Todd Rundgren, and Fee wanted Lukather, and the rest is history. Boy, what a bitchy uh, life it must be when you have to argue between having Steve Lukather or Todd Rundgren produce your records. Yeah, know, right? Yeah. <laughs> so give a quick um, plug for another podcast. There's a podcast for guitar players called No Guitar is Safe. It's done by Jude Gold who is a writer for a guitar player magazine uh-huh. and he interviews all the great guitar players and it's phenomenal. And he just did an episode on Steve Lukather, who's going to have a, an, uh, you know, sort of a tell all biography coming out. But be that as it may, we're here to talk about, um, hemispheres this evening. Hemispheres was released on the 29th of October, 1978 produced by Russian Terry Brown and released on the label Anthem. Band lineup remains the same as all Rush albums do, except for the first one. Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, and Neil Peart. Hemispheres is the sixth studio album by Canadian rock band Rush, released in October 1978 by Anthem Records. After touring to support their previous studio release, A Farewell to Kings, which saw the group gain popularity in the UK, Rush started work on their next album. As with their previous, Hemispheres was recorded at Rockfield Studios in Wales, and Trident Studios in London, with their longtime engineer and arranger, Terry Brown. Rush continued their progressive rock sound with the sidelong Cygnus X1 Book 2 Hemispheres and the nine-minute instrumental La Villa Strangiato. Hemispheres received mixed to positive reviews from music critics. It reached number 14 in Canada and the UK and number 41 in the US. The album's two shorter tracks, The Trees and Circumstances, were released as singles in 1978 and 1979, respectively. In 1993, the album was certified platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America for selling one million copies. Rush supported Hemispheres with a concert tour from October 1978 to June 1979. Wow. Nice. Mm. So, you know, I'll add at the bottom of the wiki page, that um, somehow Hemispheres was voted by the Rolling Stone Reader's Poll as the favorite rock prog rock album of all time. Hemispheres came in at number eight. And I think we've already established we've already established that the Rolling Stone readers probably only know about a dozen prog rock albums as it is. So that's probably not a, a fair showing. But um I, but I you still, know we do still need to do a special episode on that list. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, the 1001 prog rock songs you have to know are albums, that one. Yeah. Well, that, that and the Rolling Stone list. I, I want to see them both. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Anyway, yes, I agree. Number, the fixes number eight. I think number eight is, it's legit. It's, it's a legit album and uh, one of my favorites. I have a quick story about uh, Hemispheres, though, that I think is, is, is funny. So this is 1978, so not only is it the year of Tormado and the year of the highest known consumption of marijuana in, uh, in history, um, I was also, uh, probably when I was nine, um, this album came into my consciousness because uh, my sister uh, had this, borrowed this album or had this album because of the song The Trees. Now, she only knew the song The Trees, and she was probably interested in some, in some guy 
because she was in high school at the time. And so he probably was playing it and she thought, oh, this is cool. So she gave this album on vinyl to one of her friends to borrow. And I distinctly remember that, you know, the album has the uh, sort of the brain and the naked guy reaching out and then a guy in a suit, you know, and a cane on the other side. And I distinctly remember when her friend bought brought the uh, there it is brought the album back that her friend's mother had fashioned a pair of jeans out of cardboard and taped them over the oh. guy's <laughs> backside. <laughs> oh. oh God, that is so suburbs. That that is like, <laughs> that is exactly where we grew up. Well, I wonder. I wonder what she would have done if she would have seen permanent waves. No. Yeah. I I wonder too. You're right. You're right. But the at least permanent waves. There's clothing there. You know what I mean. So, yeah. are we talking about the panties, Tom? Yeah. Oh, yes, we are. <laughs> <laughs> can 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 I just take can I just take a moment to to tell an aside story that. That story reminded me of, and and it there there's at least a, a little bit of an excuse to tell this story, not much. <laughs> so we had brought up Kiss, and there was a period where um, my brother Dave was was super duper into Kiss. Um, Dave dabbled in heavy metal before I ever thought about it. I don't know how much he really understood about it. It just doesn't seem to fit with with his general personality. But he, he dabbled in it, and, and he was really big into KISS. I seem to remember he was actually a member of the KISS Army for a while. And my mother, being my mother, was very disconcerted by the satanic imagery associated with KISS, namely Gene Simmons, obviously. And at one point, as he started, started exploring you know, heavy metal more, and he, would, you know, he was buying all these, these heavy metal albums... And it reached like this critical mass. And, and my mother just felt that, you know, she had to do something drastic to save his soul. And so she she culled all of these, you know, would-be satanic albums from his his um, from his collection. I think there was a Kiss one in there. I know there was Iron Maiden's Peace of Mind. That's the one where Eddie's in the straitjacket, right? Yep. Um, there was Quiet Riot. Um, the one with the face mask. Mental health. Mental health. And, and there was a couple others in there. And she took these. She culled them from, from his thing. And she arranged them under his his the blanket on his bed. So that when he pulled it back, he would be faced with all these satanic images in his bed. And it would freak him out. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. And then they had a discussion and he was forced to get rid of them all. Wow. 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 <laughs> wow. Oh, that, that's, that's, that's too bad. Hey, on, yeah, on, I the, love, on the heavy metal I note, I, I want to say uh, um, uh, rest in peace. Uh, is it Dave, Dave Holland, the uh, former drummer of Judas Priest who passed away this past week? Oh, wow. Oh, oh God rest his soul. So, when we, we've, we've, talked before about the concept of, of the Gateway album. And while I think all of us grew up knowing different parts of Rush because they were 
omnipresent on the radio as we were growing up. Um, you had to know who Rush was, even if you didn't understand what Rush was or if you didn't know about these earlier albums or anything else. And, you know, we've talked before that I was com late coming into the party. And for whatever reason, there was a point in my life where I, I literally started buying the early Rush albums just to have them. I, I didn't really know why I needed them. Um, but I, I, I felt I did. And I had them for, you know, maybe a, a year or two and, and, you know, nothing really clicked. It was probably the curse, and, Joe, that Tom was talking about. The kid you th cursed you. Do you think that's what it was? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, the, the curse may be a very real thing. And and <laughs> I vivid I vividly remember um, there were I had I had a farewell to kings and hemispheres I had dubbed onto a cassette and I used to listen to it while I mowed the yard. And it was the song Hemispheres and Xanadu. I vividly remember both of those while mowing my yard at my old house that that turned the key. And it was just like, all right, I'm I'm in at this point. And I'm happy to say both of those songs still float my boat in the most spectacular manner. Um, as I listened. Uh, yeah, as, as I listened to this album, I mean, as we were working through it, you know, the catalog, I couldn't wait to get here because I knew you know, like I said, for me, this is this is where there is no more, you know, rough sketching. This is full, complete masterpiece composition from now and you know until whenever, Amen. and we can discuss whenever whenever happens. And Test for <laughs> what's that? Test for echo. Yeah, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> test for echo. Um. So, as I got into it, you know, I, I couldn't wait, and I have been literally, you know, abusing the speakers in my car with hemispheres. So, for again, for me, everything kind of comes into place here. I think, like I said, A Farewell to Kings was very close, but now with hemispheres, I think the band has has learned, you know how to play together, how to construct songs together without some sort of weirdness going on. And I think having, you know, to extend this out because Terry Brown has been along for the ride, they've learned how to, you know, record and, and produce what they're doing um, well as well. So, so now you've got, you know, when Getty goes into his, his high register, it, you know, you're not like climbing to get out the window at this point. It's, it's controlled. It's, you know, it's, it's pleasant. It still kind of gets across what he's trying to, but it's not screechy and annoying anymore. And so, you know, like I said, I, I just think, I think they've figured everything out. And from here on out, it's just balls out. Let's go, you know, let's go into places where no one's ever been before. And, you know, I don't know if you guys want to talk about something else first, but I would like to sort of walk through, you know, sickness um, and, and what, how that works for, for me. Because, you know, 
I think in terms of of yes as a progressive band, this is clearly the the pinnacle of that. You have an 18, 19 minute song, and honest to God, it is it is one of the fastest moving eighteen or nineteen minute songs, you know, I know of. And I've listened to a lot of twenty minute songs in my, my life, obviously. Um, but 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 for me, you know, there's this this song is it's so tight, and we've talked before with some of their their longer pieces where they, you know, they didn't know how to move from one piece into another, or you know, it was just it was kind of disjointed, or it didn't, you know, maybe maybe they didn't bring the story in quite right. You know, there were there are a lot of different things that that didn't you know come quite together. So for me, this this is like I said, the just the perfect expression of all of that. And it starts from, you know, the very beginning, sort of the, the instrumental intro of Prelude, I think, is, is brilliant. And so I want to say in the, in the intro, when, when Alex starts going into the harmonics bit, and I mean, it's a little thing, but Neil starts off on those little chimes or bells or whatever the hell they are before he gets onto the hi-hat, which is spectacular. And then just before they go back into, um, you know, the main riff, there's that there's that one beat rest and Neil hits that little chime again. It just like it floats my canoe. So as you're listening to all of this, though, and what I find interesting, while this is very, very proggy in terms of its song structure and everything else, most of the song actually comes across, you know, Alex is doing his best guitar hero act here he's really you know driving everything where it needs to go which that's sort of what you get into but then as you listen to what neil and getty are doing underneath it it's freaking off the charts and you're like fucking a bubba right um which is is really really fascinating so then that moves obviously into the apollo and, and dionysus sections which i think are also you know there there's a lot here um, in terms of, of those parts, I think this is an example of, of Neil's lyrics really, you know, being very tight, very straightforward. You know, you know what the story is. It, it, I just think it's, it's, it's a really, really sort of tight set of lyrics. I like how Apollo and Dionysus are, are sort of balanced out and played against each other in terms of that. Um, the guitar solo in between those two sections, um, totally kick ass. And again, um, Getty and and Neil are just going to town off of that. And then um, when you get into um, you know you go through Armageddon, the Battle of Heart and Mind, and when you get into Cygnus, this is where you know, and, and this was a recent sort of thing. It's it's fascinating because you've got this very quiet part, right? And in this quiet part, where Cygnus kind of comes onto the onto the scene, he's talking about um, you know he's passed into Olympus. I see the gods um, in battle rage on high, thunderbolts across the sky. I cannot move. I cannot hide. I feel a silent scream begin inside. And all of this is is in that very, very quiet section. And then when the story switches, 
Then all at once the chaos ceased, a stillness fell, a sudden peace. The warriors felt my silent cry and stayed their struggle mystified. At this point, Getty's fucking way at the top of his register. <laughs> Alex is kicking your, the shit out of you. And so you've got this sort of, this, this, this musical irony going on where the battle is the quiet part of the, of the song and this silence is conveyed musically with this balls out section. And it just, oh, fucking love it. Oh. And, um, you know, I still don't know why the hell some dude who took a spaceship into a black hole last album shows up in Olympus and settles out Apollo and Dionysus. But I right. don't even right. care. I right. don't care. Um, you know, we will call you sickness, the God of balance. You shall be fine. I'm good with that. Perfect. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and then Neil was under a lot of pressure. He was kind of contrived at that point and it really doesn't matter in the end. It, it doesn't. And the song I think is so good. I don't even care. So, you know, um, how did you reach this level of understanding, but not come to terms with 2112? I mean, Cygnus X1 Book 2 is your personal 2112. Well, yeah, but it's good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, it's, but it's good, he says. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I love, um, you know, I love when sort of the 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 imagery that that Neil brings in um, when he, you know, we we get this this hemisphere thing. So um, looking down from Olympus on a world of doubt and fear, its surface splintered into sorry hemispheres, um, and then we get the, you know, we will call you Cygnus, the god of balance. You shall be, and then they bring it in with with the sphere, a kind of dream. And so here we are in 1978 and you sort of have this, um, you know, end of brave type moment where you have the big bombastic ending and then you have the nice sort of acoustic, um, you know, afterward, if you will. And just to be I, fair I just, to listeners, the brave moment you're referring to Marillion. I am referring to Marillion. Yes. The album brave. And, um, yeah, so, you know, all of this, I just, I think this is the perfect expression of Progressive Rush. Just okay. brilliant. Wow. Okay. Just two hours ago, I was overwhelmed with making it through a listening of Signet's X1 book two. But um, you, <laughs> you, you <laughs> made up for my lack of understanding. Wow. I'll have to definitely uh, listen to Hemispheres again after that. That was that was wonderful. If um, I yeah, yeah. But if I recall, like, you, you weren't into book one nearly as much. No, I think I think book one is is as flawed as twenty one twelve or any of the other long form songs. It you know it's 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 interesting you know when you think about what was going on and. Yeah, you know, I think we can argue about a lot of the 
of the Yes long form songs, how many of them are actually worthwhile? I missed Joe's. You missed Joe's dissertation on uh, hemispheres. It was brilliant. Well, I can tell you is that I most likely one hundred percent agree because I fucking love hemispheres. You, well, book two. He's only talking about book two right now. Well, that would yeah, Cygnus X one book two. I was not a big fan of Cygnus X one, the original, but I loved hemispheres. We covered that. Yep, book one bad, book two amazing. Okay. Yes. So I totally agree. Well said. Well said, Joe. Well said. Yeah, I'll I'll uh, I'll send you a, a quick edit so you can hear how eloquent I was. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that that was about what twenty minutes worth of uh, of exposition on uh, hemispheres. Well worth the exposition. <laughs> yep. I was. I, I was I was very emphatic. Did you talk about his um, the the voc the high vocals at all? I did yes, not talk yes. about the Joe high just disappeared. Our host just disappeared. But yeah, he Joe was raging about Getty being at the top of his range. <laughs> yeah, because you know one thing that was weird is like I felt like in in re uh, it returned. Jeez, why do I keep saying that? In Farewell to Kings, that. Like his vocals started to become, you know, he was still doing the high vocals, but it seemed like he was starting to get to a place where they were getting in a in a better register. And then in hemispheres, he like just goes off the charts. And I was watching this this um uh the the Rise of Kings documentary. And the, one of the, the guy, I guess, who wrote a biography on Rush talked about how this album was so hard to to, um, to do. And one of the reasons was like the key of Hemispheres was just not a preferred key for Getty. And the vocals were so high and he apparently had a real tough time um, cutting them. And after when I thought about that and listened to it again, I was like, damn, yeah, he's really like he's really up there. But the, I th I've always thought they've sounded great. So, I, I agree, and it was interesting. I think I came across something just this afternoon that mentioned that the song Hemispheres has the highest note Getty has ever recorded. Really? Yeah. Which I believe it may have been a B-flat 5 or something to that effect. Not 100% certain. Wow. But, um, you know, the, there, there's a balance to that. Because after the last conversation we had where you guys were, were waxing eloquent about exit stage left, I felt like I should, you know, do a little bit of, of, of exploration. And since I loved the song Hemispheres so much, I wanted to go find that. And the first thing I found was a recording of the first part of it from the 2015 tour, which was the, the tour that I actually saw, the only time I've ever seen Rush. And I've made the comment that Getty's voice wasn't very good. And I thought, well, maybe it was just my show. And based on this recording, it was not just my show. <laughs> but um, but I went back and I found a recording of Hemispheres from 1980. And vocally speaking, it wasn't any better. So, wow. yeah, I think, you know, Hemispheres from a, from a vocal performance um, for Getty is very, very difficult. And the fact that they were then able to get such a good recording, I think now is even more remarkable than maybe I would have thought before. 
Yeah, it doesn't like it doesn't seem like it would be fun to sing that song in any in anything. And he's got even in 1980, that was 12 years after they recorded it. He's got to be on stage playing that, thinking, "What the fuck?" No, that was that was that was two years, two years after they recorded it. Oh, oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Two years. You're right. Well, okay. Even two years later, he was probably like, "What are we doing?" Um, Okay, you know, I just pulled up a site, and it seems like some of these high notes are happening live. Because they're actually citing something, Fresno, 1977, Passaic, New Jersey, 1976. Um, so, yeah, apparently in 76, uh, he hit a B-flat 5 in Passaic, New Jersey. And in 77 in Fresno, California, he hit a B-5, with its highest note ever, which is pretty amazing. Like, Paul, what's your vocal range? It, it's pretty damn high, but it's... It's not that. It's not it's that. Not that. Yeah. Yeah. That's insane. This dude is an octave over you, dude. Yeah. That's re- that's ridiculous. That is. That's ridiculous. Wow. Um. Yeah. So. Love. Love it. Love hemispheres. Um. And I can't wait to hear your um your passionate review of it, Joe. Yeah, I was. I. I I was kind of I was on a roll, and that's why I didn't dial you back in before, before then. Yeah, no worries. I just couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> I I'd, yeah. been, I'd been sort of mentally rehearsing that for the past three days, and I just had to get it out. <laughs> nice, nice. So that being said, um, you know, is is there anything else that anyone would like to ha- add on in regards to the song hemispheres? The, the, the only thing I would add on, and I don't know if you touched on this, is the thing that I find most peculiar about Hemispheres is that it's really only, and I, and I wanted to count them and I, and I never did, it's only like four musical ideas, four or five musical ideas that are just repeated, mixed up, moved around, and then... Yeah. And then, like, messed around with, right? Did you talk about that? I, I didn't, but I'm glad you brought that up because the one small issue, if you want to call it that, that I have with this, and, and I understand from a from a song structure point of view, you know, especially given the fact that we're talking about balance, and they, presumably they wanted to balance out both Dionysus and Apollo, and while the vocal delivery in the sections of Dionysus and Apollo is different enough, given the fact that it's the same melody in the same song structure. I, I almost wish that Dionysus and Apollo were, were represented differently in the music. Hmm. That's, but, you know, like I said, I, I, I appreciate why the song is, is built the way it is. And it, you know, I, I still, I still love it, and I think, like I said, those two sections are just different enough. But I, I do wonder what would have happened if they had tried to present, you know, those two characters, you know, separately. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. I, I think the thing that makes it so charming for me is just that the their other epics, if you will, are. 
are, um, you know, similar to, you know, if you say some, take something like misplaced childhood, you know, the first side of misplaced childhood plays like one, 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 one piece, but yeah. it's really several songs just interwoven together where this, this is one song, right? There's the musical ideas are all connected and they're moved around and the, and the, they're um, built upon in such a way that it builds and it, and it, it creates this different, these different sections. Um, but it's really compared to, to like 2112 fountain of Laneth there. Those are, those are, you know, there's five parts, but they're all different songs basically. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, so, so that's the charming thing about hemispheres for me is that it's, it's really 18 minutes of, of a similar musical idea that's being expanded on and, and, you know, re you know, mixed changed. My, my vocabulary is, is just fantastic tonight. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but I, but that to me is what sets hemispheres apart from like all of the others that they've done up to this point. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a very, it, it's a completely cohesive piece of music. Mm. Mm. Cool. And then there's circumstances. And then there's circumstances. Oh, what were you guys talking about? The uh, rhythmic. It, 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 there's a lot of reggae upbeat stuff going on in this early material. Is it? Is that what you guys were getting at? Or no, I, I don't think so. On this one. Um, so I, I let me just say this first of all. And the Wikipedia needs to really. I mean, I may have to get in on Wikipedia and update circumstances. Because I think all it says about circumstances, circumstances is the first of two short tracks on hemispheres. Come on, really? That's all we've got? That's all we've got. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't seem like enough. I mean, it is a pretty rhythmically complex song. Um, just because it just has a different the the guitar riff is tricky the way it matches up with the line. But you have this terrific riff. If you don't mind, I'm going to try to play it right now. Right? Could you hear that? Yep. Right? Yes. And not only is that riff, like, brings this big, chunky guitar thing all together into the, into the chorus, but then that was the second time they do it, and if you heard it, I don't know if it's the first time we've, we ever hear this instrument but it's the first time that the china boy symbol has a pronounced moment in in the song i don't know if i can play it again here oh i was right there um right and it's like ever since that moment in rush the china boy shows up in almost every song after that <laughs> well we all know what happens when a drummer gets a china boy that 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 is um that's that's great and tonight today with today was the day for circumstances i couldn't stop listening to it so i must have listened to it 20 times and um i finally had to learn how to play that riff because i just couldn't take it anymore um, <laughs> it was too much it's so it's so great and it's just a it's just a classic i th i feel like it's a classic alex license riff and it 
you know, it reminds me of learning how to play songs off of permanent waves. So it, it makes perfect sense. Um, <laughs> but he was trying to get his students to play scales. It's all man. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so after, after 18 minutes of, of uh, hemispheres, um, Cygnus X one book two, like, I feel like circumstances is just such a relief and such a just balls out song. Um, it's just like the perfect accompaniment to, to hemispheres. And, you know, just imagine flipping that album over after listening to hemispheres and then it just blows into that. It's, it's, it's great. I love it. Yeah. I think okay. in terms I think in terms of putting an album together, you're absolutely right, Paul, because, you know, Hemispheres is, you know, while it's spectacular, there's a lot going on there. And then, you know, if you think about, you know, um, and granted it was a couple of years older, earlier, um, you know, if you think about Yes's Relayer, so very similar in that you've got, you know, track one is side one and it's the Gates of Delirium and there's a lot going on. Except they followed it up with Sound Chaser, right? Not, not, not. Uh, and with all due respect to our friends at the Yes Music Podcast, I still think that Circumstances is a much better palate cleanser from the you know the the prog excess than than that than Sound Chaser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would argue I would argue that um, Circumstances is to hemispheres as a passage to Bangkok is to 2112. Yeah. Because you have the real, the chorus that you're kind of, you're, you're really relieved yeah. to hear after yeah. all those passages and all the, um, the, the, the prog stuff. And yeah. I know in 2112, when I get to passage to Bangkok, it's just like, I'm, Screaming along just as I was with you know, Temple, you know, so it's, but it's uh, slightly different, but um, it's the same way with circumstances. You you really welcome that um, time to just um, you don't have to think as much and you can sort of just sing along. <laughs> well, and 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 that, but and the, the amazing thing is, yeah, you don't have to think as much as you you can just sing along, but it's still kick ass song. Sure, you know, it's it's not like it's fluff. Right. Well, Paul, when you become a Wikipedia certified editor and you're going through, um, there's a footnote here that Peart introduced the gong and the timpani for hemispheres, and right. you, will, you will be the first person to add the China boy. Exactly. <laughs> huh. Ken, it's so funny that you say that because when I was reading that, I, I was reading that to see if anyone put in the China boy symbol because it, it certainly deserves its own mention. <laughs> oh god and you know and i'll say also as as refreshing as it is to your point joe i i feel like the words are still you know pretty deep they're kind of cool i don't really know them well but like i get the topic it's about you know he's a kid and he's looking out through his window and he's you know he has these feelings of disillusionment and it talks about you know it's all the same. We take our chances, and we're laughed at by time. Um, it's cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and I made that that point in my hemispheres rant. 
I mean, Neil's lyrics here, and I think certainly on the next album, they're really tight. I think he's he's really in a in a great place where he's able to to clearly convey his message, but in a way that is, I think, interesting and palatable. And you know, I mean, how how many how many Yes albums did we talk about where we had no idea what the hell John was singing about? We didn't really care either, and, right? And, and here you have Neil, who has obviously very, you know, clear thoughts and messages that he's conveying, and I, I think he does it, you know, in in a in a very agreeable style. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Which and you know. Not to skip ahead, but you know, to me, the 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 lyric wise, you know, we hit it. We hit, you know, sort of a, if you don't mind me using this phrase, seminal moment, uh, with, with the trees. <laughs> I will take exception to that, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so so here's, and apparently I can't escape that because. This is the trees is going to be my blasphemous moment on this album because again, oh boy. I I appreciate and understand, you know the the high esteem with which everyone holds the trees, and at first blush, I think it was a very very clever, uh, a very clever metaphor, if that's the right word that that Neil was going to use here. And, but I just, I, for me, I think it's, it's either too clever or it's too obvious and I can't decide which one it is, but I, while I, I will listen to the song very happily and I enjoy singing it and I know all the words, there's just something about this song that I it just doesn't pass muster for me. And like, you know, what, what is Neil ultimately trying to say here? Is, is, is it a, is it a pro union song? Is it, is it a be careful what you wish for? Cause you're all going to get fucked song. You know, what, what, what is, <laughs> what's the outcome here? I think Peter wow. was very careful not to, force endings into his stories. Um, I think he left his stories open. You know, apparently in 2112, uh, the good people get rid of the priests of the Temple of Syrinx, but it's a little ambiguous. And, you know, a lot of what he does is ambiguous. He always leaves it open. Yeah, maybe the good guys win, but maybe not. And in this case... Yeah, maybe the trees are a little too militant about equality, but you don't really know if he's being sarcastic at the end. I, I think I think his his arc is open ended. Right. Yeah, I mean, every you know, at the end, everyone's kept equal by hatchet, axe, and saw. Now, if you're a tree, you don't want that. But Dude, it doesn't say. Oh my gosh! What? You're just you're trampling all over. That's like the greatest line of the whole fucking song, and you're just trampling <laughs> over it like it's nothing. 
Right, but so I haven't, but I haven't, but what's what's the outcome here? All right. Oh, so Jesus it's not Christ. just that it's not that Christ. the oaks have been cut down to to the level of the maples and now everyone's equal because by implication the maples are getting their asses handed to them as well. So again, here's the right. question. You know, right. is it is it a song? We all know about ecosystems. Maybe the the maples needed the fucking oaks and they're just up shit's creek now. So well, yeah, okay. you know, they they upset the balance and now everyone's screwed. I don't know. To to borrow a quote from Tom, Christ on crutches. I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so I have I have a terrific I, I, I memory. Will, I will I will stop now and I will let you guys gush about the trees and I will be very happy to listen. I hope you know. I, I hope I, I don't know if I can lend some insight to this or not. Maybe not. Maybe it is obvious, and maybe you're just not happy with the obviousness of of, of it. I have a great memory, and it involves Ken uh, around the the trees. He he it was. I, I I don't know if I shared this already, but it was uh, he. I was Say in it his again. room. You did, yeah. Keep going. I, I was in his room. He was playing his guitar, and, and he had pages of lyrics, uh, handwritten lyrics everywhere. And he pulled the trees out and he said, you need to read these. These lyrics are amazing. And, and the, they are amazing. It's a, it's a wonderful poem that if you look at it around the idea that the, the maple trees want more sunlight because the oaks are taller than them and they grab it all up. And, and um, I, I, it, I, I just think it's brilliant from first of all if you just take it at face value and you put the personification onto the onto trees it's just a brilliant um it, it's it's just brilliantly done but then if you look at it from more of a metaphorical perspective right you have you have maple trees complaining about oak trees and and judging them and judging their actions based on nothing more than how they are made, right? Oak trees are taller and wider than maple trees. And if they're planted next to one another, the oaks are going to shade the maple trees. And the, and, and the oaks look at the maples and say, what the fuck, you're smaller than me. Of course you're gonna be in the shade, sorry. Well, there's nothing I can do about it. I'm an oak tree, right? And I think metaphorically, you can look at it like we do the same thing in life. We go through life judging each other and 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 putting thing putting shit on one another for no other reason than that's just how we're made you know i'm the person that i am and i'm going through whatever's wrong with me today or right with me and i'm doing this and people are looking at me and whether i like it or not they're judging me and it it can get to the point where we we become adversarial about simply just because of the way we are and the the magic of that last line, you know, if you if you go through the personification of the trees, like doing all the stuff and and maples forming a union and getting together and saying, you know, damn it, Oaks, you are going to have to give us light. And you know what? It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, there's always a more powerful force that comes along and just whoosh, levels everything out, you know, and. We can pass judgment on each other, whether it's for a social reason or for the way we're, we're genetically built, whatever. We can go all these different ways, you know, but there are many forces at work in our lives that just cut us down to size. 
And it doesn't matter if we're Eagles fans or Vikings fans or Patriots fans or whatever, that, you know, they're, they're going to sooner or later, they're going to call pass interference in the end zone and it's just going to throw everything to shit. Right. <laughs> like it is, it, it is a meta, it is a metaphor for life that I, that I think is quite brilliant. And again, like I said, I listened to this song a, a bunch of times and I just, it never got old. I still, I still have that sort of boyish wonder when I listen to the trees. Okay. That's well, um, uh, uh, and, and, uh, a week or more prior to this, we circulated our text messages, planning the palaver. And we, 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 I shared something, you know, where Rand Paul was, was kind of, you know, told by, by Neil to stick it up his ass because Rand Paul was reading lyrics from the trees in a political context. And Neil said, Rand Paul didn't stand for what the band stood for. And he said, stick it. So I just wanted to throw that in to bring it up to the present day. Um, I, I, I think the, the free will vibe and the trees vibe was pretty relevant in its day for what it was for that generation but extended in the wrong places and the wrong circumstances, it, it, it can be used maliciously. Outstanding. That, that is outstanding. And here I was just going to say, wow, that's a really fucking cool song. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. And that brings us to La Villa Strangiato. Oh, fucking awesome. Which, which is just fun to say, if nothing else. I find it interesting <laughs> that, that Strangiato is subtitled An Exercise in Self-Indulgence. <laughs> because Fountain of Lamneth was not. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, given, given some of the things that we have we have sort of dealt with at this point, to, to actually physically label this song an exercise in self-indulgence is, is interesting. And, you know, when I listened to this, you know, my thinking was, and, and this goes back to, you know, a comment I made at, at the top of this episode. I, I think at this point, these guys were really starting to, to figure out how to you know to write these songs together and i i my impression is they they just wanted to play together and not necessarily having to worry about lyrics and singing and everything else i think they just wanted to jam out for a while and and really really kind of get off on the interplay of the three instruments you know without you know, with without the, the the constraints, if you will, of of a of a, of a lyrical song, I, and I think it's 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 perfect. You know, what may have contributed to that is uh, looking ahead to the upcoming tour. Getty may have been saying, "Listen, guys, I'm going to be singing my balls off for 18 minutes straight." <laughs> you break. Yeah, it may have it may have just it may have been more practical than, than what we're thinking about. The, um, yeah, I think I think you're there, there's a lot of 
there's something to that, Joe. I think that, you know, by this point, they're really just, you know, we, I think we mentioned early on that, you know, maybe in the early albums, they, they weren't quite at virtuoso status, although we could probably debate that for a while, but, but certainly as they get into the, we, we talked about, you know, in, in 2112, starting to hear some of that classic Getty tone and, and I, I think definitely as we move into uh, uh, Farewell to Kings and and then Hemispheres, they, they really become more of those, the, the a virtuoso type where they're really in command of everything. And what, what is really um, interesting to me about it is, is that the, the, some of the bass riffs that, that start to happen just are so different for Getty, I think. And when I listen to La Via Strangiato, I'm just sitting there thinking, when's that bass solo coming? When's that? It's only like six or seven seconds long, but it's like all I want to hear the whole song. I'm just like, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? And so, yeah, I think, you know, they, they did. I think they just wanted to, you know, see what they could do. I love the the guitar bit that comes out of that bass solo. I think that's that's really cool too. Yeah, yeah. So one interesting thing that I saw about this that I thought was funny is that they when they recorded it, they wanted to do it in one take. They didn't want to splice it together. Um, they didn't want to get like you know four or five takes where the front the beginning was good, the middle was, and they go back and forth and splice it together. So. They tried it around forty times, um, wow! Over the over the course of, I guess, I don't know, what a two week rehearsal period, maybe over two weeks. They tried to do it over and over again, and Neil Peart mentioned that he believes they spent more time recording La Via Strangiato than than they did the entire Fly By Night album in nineteen seventy five. Wow, and then it and it turns out that they ended up having to put it together from different takes anyway because they just could never get it to their liking on one take. Oh, Which should give all off to the editor because I can't tell. Yeah, yeah. Well, it should all give us, you know, it should all give us like some, you know, hope for ourselves um, in our musical pursuits, right? So, but you know, in uh, Exit Stage Left, they. Banged it out pretty good, pretty rocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if it's just because I've heard YYZ so many more times, but I mean, I going back to this, and of course, I you know heard it on the live albums and things like that. But um, I was like, wow, this is right up there with YYZ. I mean, you can definitely even tell where the um, the uh, the birth of YYZ kind of came in, and I think it was from Beautiful. a song like this because there's 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 hints of it. But um, I mean, I I like this every bit as much as YYZ. And again, I don't know if it's just because YYZ sometimes gets overplayed, um, you know, o- over time, and this one sort of becomes forgotten, the sort of forgotten. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. music piece, but mm-hmm. um, 
Uh, it's it's incredible. I mean, I would uh, I would I, I would call it genius. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was so lucky that in college I had three other guys willing to take this on, and we we got to do it in the context of the fusion group. But you know, even before that, just lucky enough to play with you guys and to you know butcher as many rush songs as we did um god just you know we could no one could sing getty but fuck you get your hands on an instrumental it's like yeah we're doing it (laughs) (laughs) nobody has to sing getty all right oh god yeah well and and so so jay had had chimed in today that he wanted us to to praise this song appropriately and um you know so obviously this was something that that resonates with with jay and i you know knowing jay and knowing what sort of floats jay's boat i can i can kind of see how this this would do that i don't know that i've ever had a a, a specific conversation with him about this or i i can't say i recalled that this was particularly something that that he he was really into but you know when he brought that up today it it, it did make a lot of sense to me I think Jay told me one time that he wished that Neil Peart had used more of the China boy in this in this track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't I can't really remember anything specific, you know, around this around, you know, with this Jay, but I you know, I don't I don't know this goes to to um Tom's point. Like, I'm not sure what more I can say than other than this is just a great fucking song. Like, it is. It just rocks. It is sort of like YYZ. I think the difference between YYZ and this is YYZ is in a is in like sort of a, a like a pop song format, if you will. It's more of a regular uh, song. You've got an introduction. You got a verse. You got a chorus. You got a verse, chorus, solo section, and then you know outro with the with the uh, chorus again, like it just, it's more, it's, it's more composed in like a regular song where this, you know, goes different places and, and, um, a little bit more. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. It's a little bit more of a progressive. It's the, uh, it's the, um, 2112 version of the instrumental versus the, uh, the circumstances or the passage (laughs) to Bangkok. So, so quickly, before we move on from this, you know, given perhaps the, the tongue-in-cheek title of this track, is this self-indulgent? No. Do we think it's self-indulgent? What? It's, it's got... Uh, they're, they're stretching into, I want to say, you know, Spanish, some kind of... Uh, ethnic thing that they never did before in this like they're, they're trying to create some exotic motif that they didn't previously do and they're taking it longer but it's so musically beautiful i want to say no yeah and, I, and I would i would totally agree with that i i, I don't I can see where they might say that and, and they might sort of joke about that amongst themselves. Um, you know, who, who puts out just, you know, a nine minute instrumental, but at the same time, I, I, 
it, to me, it doesn't come across that way at all. You know, and, and I hate to keep bagging on on Tormato, but I think you know Tormato is forty minutes of self indulgence. This, I don't think it's it's self indulgent at all. I mean, maybe a little bit in the sense that you know they're they're saying, hey, we're gonna we're gonna do something a little bit different. We're gonna give ourselves a little bit of room to do something. You know, maybe not a lot of people do, and we haven't done before. But it it it's it's done so well that you don't care. Yeah, I mean, I think that says it all right there. It's so awesome. You you don't care. I think it's self indulgent. I mean, I think that I've never actually sat and tried to figure out which parts are which. But like a in Wonderland, I think is just Alex just you know soloing. For a little while and you got a nine minute instrumental you probably don't need just a you know unabated guitar solo at, you know <laughs> at all um but you, but when you think about like this album and a farewell to kings and 2112 and you know for that matter their entire catalog like there's they deal with some heavy things right they're they're some of the songs are very serious and I, I think this just in the title and then the title of the 12 different sections, which are just some of them are just funny. I think it, <laughs> it, it gives us it gives us like a, just a little bit of, you know, appear behind the curtain to say, hey, these are real guys and they're and they're having a lot of fun. And, you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't take all of this as serious as as uh, as we do. And I. You know, whatever the case is, like you said, Joe, it's so good. Who cares? But. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, I guess I can I can totally see where you're coming from on that too. Maybe okay. Um, uh, uh, the song "A Farewell to King" starts out with this bit that it's like, "What's wrong with you? Just play the trees. What's wrong with you?" It it it's <laughs> like he's almost playing the trees, but he's not. It's practice. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and and in the theme of what we all just said, La Via's Strangiato is like, what are you doing? Just play YYZ. Why are you? Why are you? Why? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I, I think that's what we're getting at here. And, you know, it, it's the progression. It's really interesting in hindsight to see where this all went. Yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to talk about with Permanent Wave. So that's, I think that's going to be a standalone episode as well. So. Well, and then and then from there we go into moving pictures, which you know, so for sure, Grace under pressure, and we might need two episodes for Power Windows. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, love it. absolutely love it. exit stage left gets to be its own episode, right? <laughs> that will be you a know, good retrospective. Actually, actually. that'd be a good retrospective episode. Yeah, but we can't do that until after moving pictures, right? Because that True. was that was the moving True. pictures tour. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much. This was great. I uh, I really enjoyed this. I'm I'm loving these uh, these albums. This is this is fun to talk about. This is great. It's a lot of fun. Awesome guys.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Progressive Palaver. As you can tell, I was personally very excited to talk about this particular album, and we look forward to continuing our discussion of the Rush catalog as we move forward. In the meantime, we encourage, welcome, and solicit your feedback, your input, your thoughts, your questions, your concerns. You can reach us on all of the major uh, social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those. Or you can search for us by searching for Progressive Palaver. You can also email us at progpala at gmail.com. And as always, Progressive Palaver is available for download and subscription on both iTunes and Google Play. And we are hosted on SoundCloud. So we look forward to continuing the Rush Catalog, and we'll see you next time.